I'm going to go ahead and begin. This is going to be, I'm hoping it's a short lesson, but it's probably not going to be. Um, I'll just tell you. Um, we have a vision that we've unveiled as a church family. And, and basically, we are saying that together we want to partner with God. We are saying that we want to embrace one another, not just embracing each other, but embrace one another as followers of Jesus, knowing we're all in the same boat together. And we also want to engage our world. We are embracing one another as followers so that we can engage our world, but not just on our own, but with His transforming love. And these two objectives are two ways that we hope to do that. And I'm going to get to those in just a second. Let's go ahead and start in prayer, and then uh, we'll, we'll get right into to this lesson. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, for, for today. Thank you for each and every person that is in this room. And, and I, just, I just pray right now that whoever needed to hear that, Lord, that, that it is a transformational day for them. And I know we all need to hear it. We all need to know that on the cross, you deemed all of us so valuable. You deemed us worth dying for. And it wasn't a last second thought, Lord, you had been planning this knowing what you were going to have to endure so that we could be with you and experience you through community, through this body of believers. So this morning as we speak through a couple of these objectives, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have eyes that are ready to see, ears that are ready to hear. And I pray that it's transformational for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our vision is this, and we hope to live into this in a particular, in a few particular ways. The first one that we're going to talk about today is this. We're going to hopefully organize our ministries in our church in a strategic manner uh, to empower staff members and leadership, and this is the key word, teams here, to actively serve our church and our community. So what we're hoping is that this a very, this objective we're talking about, the first one that we're talking about today, is all about being a player and not a spectator. All right, games don't require much from us. When we watch them on TV, when we actually go to the event, they don't really require much from us. Um, when it comes to certain events, we act as, even though we're spectators, we kind of act as if we're participants. You know, whenever we win, we celebrate. Whenever we lose, we mourn. How many of you um, play fantasy football? That's the exact same thing. You're not doing anything, but you're sad whenever you lose. You know, you're excited whenever you win, and there's smack talk involved. I don't know why. You didn't do anything. I mean, I'm this way with the Houston Astros, right? Yes, I know there's so many of you Astros fans in this room. One day you will be. I'm hoping. It's funny though, Saturday, uh, Friday night we lost, okay, pretty bad, it was, a, it was a rough game, they squeaked it out at the end, last night we won, and I say we because it's my team, did I do anything? No, I barely got out of my chair, but hey, I, my team won, and that's the way we are with a lot of things, uh, Tennessee fans, how many of you are a Tennessee fan, football, college football, <laughs> good, I mean, all right, <laughs> Um, their team finally beat Alabama and it was an amazing moment for them and so what do they do you know they ripped down the goalpost and threw in the river Alabama won the next Saturday their fans it was a typical Saturday you know and it's funny that that in this instance the only thing that was required of the Tennessee fans was a little bit of vandalism. 
Meanwhile, the real players are in the locker room celebrating because they actually won the game. But it's funny. I mean, there's a whole lot more we can talk about when it comes to that. But non-participants usually engage a lot more than we probably should or need to. It's funny, whenever our team doesn't win, if Tennessee hadn't won, there would have been people criticizing the very next day, knowing exactly what they didn't do, what they should have done. You know, while they were there eating their their popcorn, drinking their, their soda. The outcome of the game really only depends on the participants who were involved in the game. And sometimes the refs, but that's a whole different conversation. Right? The outcome of the game depends primarily on those who are participating in the game. So the question that I want to ask you about this very first objective is, are you a a participant when it comes to following Jesus, or are you merely a spectator? Now, you've probably heard this quote a lot, and it's been, it's been bandered around quite often, but Teddy Roosevelt has a great uh, line from one of his speech, and this is what it says. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds who knows great enthusiasm the great devotions who spends himself in a worthy cause who at the best knows in the end of triumph of high achievement and who at the worst if he fails at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat Oh, is that great? Now, I'm not telling you that the Christian life requires you to work to earn anything. I'm not telling you that. Don't hear me saying any of that. God gave us Jesus. This is a gift, and our love for him should move us to do good that God has prepared in advance for us to do. But a spectator who acts as if they had any part in the outcome is merely play-acting. They're pretending because there's nothing at stake with a spectator. Now God's preferred future for our church family is that we can move all of our people, all of our, those people who come to this church, who call this church home, move you from spectator to participant and if you are participating a little bit to participating just a little bit more what we hope to do is to develop teams ministry teams people of more than one or two that can use their gifts to do things that God wants for us to do and I know some of you may not really know what that gift is you know you're like I'm not working in the nursery and that's okay I don't want you to You know, if you say, I want to work in accounting, if that's not your gift, I don't want you there either. But God has given each of you gifts. And my hope is that not only can we use them here together, but we can use them wherever we are each and every day. God's going to do the rest. Some of our teams that we're hoping to develop, they don't require any skill at all except your presence and your participation. 
and they probably doesn't even require a whole lot of hours. God will do the rest. All we have to do is simply show up, participate. Here's the next one right here. Um, we hope to restructure our facilities to allow more opportunities to embrace our members and engage our guests and community within our church. Now, we've talked to some of you about this, and I know it scares some people. You know, what are we going to remodel? This building is beautiful. Don't ugly it up, right? This is a historic landmark. It's been, it's been this way for 60-plus years. You know, God has blessed us with a very beautiful building and, a, you know, just a great set of facilities. Some people that I've had conversations with are very frightened about this. They, they think we're going to take this beautiful thing and, and mess it up. I don't know if you remember this story, but about 10 years ago in Spain, there's a little town that has this really famous fresco, and it's called Echo Homo, Behold the Man. Oh, it's beautiful, but they needed to restore it, so they get a committee together, they get the people there, and they're saying, okay, we need to figure out who's going to restore this. Well, one sweet old lady decided she was going to take care of it for them because they don't need to go through all that. She used to paint. She knows what to do, and so she did it on her own. I wish to say this was fake. This is a true story. <laughs> Can you imagine coming in one morning to that? Hundreds of year old fresco. I know some of you think that's what restructure and remodeling is going to end up doing to our facility. <laughs> I know some of you, whenever you hear the word change, this is what you think of. Horrible. The worst possible outcome. And I know some of you would rather we not do anything, and I understand that. Every congregation has a sacred cow that we don't really want to mess with. Um, do you think we have any sacred cows here? Uh-huh, okay. Some people would, would, may say, no, we don't. Okay, what if I suggested, I'm not saying we're doing any of this, by the way. What if I suggested, hey, let's, let's change our service times to 2 p.m. on Sunday and uh, 6 p.m. on Saturday. Somebody would go, whoa, hang on a second. Okay, what if, um, how about this one? What if I were to say, we're going to close the balcony and make everybody sit down here together? Okay, Beth would say, uh-uh. She's already said that to me before. I'm not saying we're going to do it, right? That gives you a little, makes you, what, what if I were to say, and I'm not saying we're doing this at all, trust me. What if I were to say, you know what? We're going to tear this building down and start all over. Okay, I would say I would have a fight on my hands because there are some things that are sacred to us. I'm not saying they're wrong, but we have sacred cows here. So do the Israelites. Matthew 23, there's a really interesting moment. Jesus and his followers were leaving the temple grounds and uh, this is what one of Jesus' followers said to him, Matthew 23. He said, um, um, I'll just read it. Jesus left the temple, was walking away when his disciples came up to him and called his attention to his buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, Jesus said, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. It's the temple they're talking about. Mark has the same interchange, but this is what the, the disciples said in Mark's. He says, what massive stones, what magnificent stones buildings and they were right I mean the temple complex was a wonder to behold it took almost 80 years to complete and by the way they finally completed it two years later it was totally destroyed 
two years. It became known as Herod's temple because Herod was the one who chose to build it. I wished I could say that King Herod did it because he loved God and he wanted his people to worship, but he didn't. Um, Herod wasn't really even Jewish, but he was the king and he had been placed in that position. Uh, Herod was king because he was a dynamic leader. He was a brilliant architect. He was uh, politically connected. By some accounts, uh, he was probably the richest man in the world. Um, in the world he was more he was richer than Caesar Caesar had like a three acre estate Uh, he had like a 340 acre estate and and more than just one several estates you know he uh made money um uh, he had a lot of money Uh, one one moment I I I can't remember what year it was but Israel couldn't pay their tax They, they just didn't have enough so he basically covered all of the tax out of his own pocket for Israel so that Caesar wouldn't get upset he made his money through selling balsam oil. And balsam oil was very expensive. It took, cost about $10,000 an ounce in our modern day. Um, it was sold, I'm not going to tell you exactly what it was, but it was sold primarily to men because they thought it would help them. Herod made, every, he owned every balsam tree in Israel. If you think about how much the temple cost, it cost in the billions in today's currency. He created allies with Rome. Uh, He created allies with the Sadducees. They were in control of the temple. And the temple was magnificent. They've uncovered some stones that were kind of buried a little bit below. And whenever I went to Israel, I took a picture of some of these. So here's one. And this is an underground hall. Um, It's just under the temple. And I don't know if at that time it was underneath the ground or if it was, I'm not really sure. But I'll go a little closer. This on the top is one stone. You see there's a boy on the far right and a girl on the far left. That is one solid stone. And the math was done so well that there are very few, if any, gaps between the stones. Here's one on the outside of the temple. This is a buddy of mine from a long time ago. And if you see how large that stone is, those holes on the side are what they put wood uh, timbers through so they could roll it, they could push it and roll it on these timbers to get it to where it is right now. I tell you this because what the disciples are saying are true. It is huge and magnificent, unbelievable. The temple was exactly what Israel had wanted. In their heyday, you know, they built Solomon's temple. And Solomon's temple was way more grand and gold-plated than Herod's temple. And Herod's temple was magnificent. You know, Herod wanted to, to, to woo these Jewish people, building a temple that rivaled or exceeded that of Solomon. And the temple's purpose was the same as it always been. It was the same as it was whenever it used to be a tabernacle. You know, so in the days of Moses and David, the tabernacle was for a very specific reason. It was the dwelling place of God. God wanted his people to know that he was with them. So he tells Moses back in Exodus 25, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. And not only was he dwelling with them, he was with them. As in Numbers 9, on the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered it. From the evening to the morning, the cloud over the tabernacle looked like a pillar of fire. This was the regular pattern at night. The cloud covered the tabernacle, had the appearance of fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from over the sacred tent, the people of Israel would break camp and follow it. And this is amazing. Wherever the cloud settled, the people of Israel would set up camp. Literally, 
following God through the desert. The very presence of God was leading his people. And when the temple was finally built, there was nothing compared to it. Whenever Herod's temple was built, there was nothing compared to it. It was a signpost to the world that God was with his people. Isaiah said that this was supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, but by this time it had become something much, much different. It was always, always meant to be more than a building, but, but now the air was thick with us and them. Separation, exclusivity, people being told, stay away, stay on this side of the barrier. But even though it was built by the most hated man in Israel, Herod, even though they despised the builder, they cheered him on because they just wanted their temple back. The building was always meant to be a signpost that gives people hope. It's supposed to be a hope for the world, right? But instead it was becoming a spectacle. Now I know Jesus' followers are trying to figure out what exactly does he mean when he says not one stone will be on top of another? I mean, wasn't Jesus building a kingdom? Wouldn't this be his throne? Where he would set up shop? Right here on the Temple Mount. I mean, we know now that God's plan for Jesus and his people was much different. And so while Herod was investing in the infrastructure, investing in buildings and, and, and aqueducts and some pretty amazing harbors and things like that, while he was investing in all that, Jesus was investing in his people. While Herod, was, Herod was, was in his palaces building those things and also getting rid of his political opponents, killing people, even killing people and the members of his own family. While he was doing that, Jesus was building relationships and creating family. While Herod was busy surrounding himself with powerful people, Jesus was busy surrounding himself with the poor, the sick, those people who felt alone, those people who had absolutely nothing to offer anyone. While Herod was building himself an empire, Jesus was building himself a church. And this church would soon outgrow anything that could ever be made by, by human hands. So he's talking to the Samaritan woman. You remember that conversation in John chapter 4. He's talking with this woman at the well. And it, by the way, that's one of the longest theological conversations in the New Testament. And it's had between Jesus and a woman who no one would even pay two seconds to spend time talking to. And Jesus has a deep theological conversation and we're even talking about it here 2,000 plus years later. This is what he said. He said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of Father, the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. The tabernacle, the temple, was never meant to be the final resting place of God. There are no buildings that are capable of housing God and all of his grand glory and beauty. And There's no buildings that are able to house God's preferred future for his people. 
I mean, at that moment, Jesus looks at Herod's marvel of engineering, and it's pretty amazing. And he tells his follower that, that God's not only thinking outside the box, but he's moving outside the box too. His residence would no longer be in the midst of stone and brick and mortar and fabric and wood. His plan was to reside in the hearts of his people as they move in and throughout the world. I mean, his plan has always been to dwell with his people. What did John say in John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And a little later it says, the Word came and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is tabernacled among us. God is not, nor has he ever been, a mere spectator at what's happening in the world. He's been at work here since the very beginning. And if we follow God by living like Jesus, then we shouldn't be spectators either. And church should not be this place where there's us and them. There's a large growing subculture out there of people who have been wounded and hurt through church experience. Stories are sad, painful, and real. Because at some point, we got to this place where we decided us and them was okay. That was never the point with God. He wanted to bless the world. If you've been listening the last few weeks, he wants to bless the world through his people. Blessing should be our goal. Reaching and loving, blessing. And our most important goal should be like the Israelites to follow where he leads. And I'm telling you that to you, I mean to God, you collectively are God's temple. He is now in his people. And my encouragement to you is don't let sacred cows get in the way of you doing everything you can to reach the world that Jesus died for. Now, I know the common thought is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then if that's the case, then we shouldn't change a thing. I've heard that. But I need to tell you that I think what that's saying is that, that this is what's not going to change about Jesus. It's the same thing about God found in Exodus 34. This is the heartbeat of the Bible right here. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Jesus is never gonna stop loving or being patient or being kind or being slow to anger or abounding in love. He's always gonna be steadfast and faithful to you. So my encouragement to you today is don't limit what God has planned for us to do simply because you may not be willing to change. I'm going to encourage you, follow God. If you're on the fence, what's the point? Talk to me. I get it. I've been there. Sometimes I creep back to it, right? Don't you? Because there's, there's moments when you get overwhelmed. And I want you to know, if you're on the fence and you don't really know what your place is here, talk to me. Talk to any of our leaders. We will, we will help you and encourage you pray with you and love you because that's what we're that's what we're here for i love god and 
And I know that he loves me and that means that if he can love me, I know he can love you. I'm just saying, maybe get off the fence. Maybe that's your step today. Get off the fence. Maybe move just a little bit closer in. Stop being a spectator. Follow God. Go all in with him. And I'm going to tell you, when the Holy Spirit leads his people, it is always towards a preferred future. And, I, and, and God is an artist. He's a creator. And I've never seen him create anything less than a masterpiece. And remember, you're the point of all of this. God wants to show you his love so that you can experience his life. The church is not stuff. The church is not really even this building. It's not anything that's in this room. It's all of us together. And it is not good for us to be alone. God wants us to be together. And I think God's ready to lead. So my encouragement to you is let's stay together. Let's get moving. And let's get excited because God's got some amazing things in store. We have water up here. And we're ready to baptize anybody who's maybe been on the fence and you're ready to make a decision today. And the water's warm. And I'd love to have that moment with you. And don't be worried. Don't be embarrassed. Maybe you're in here and some people think, oh, everybody thinks I've already been baptized. Okay, great. Now they'll know you've been baptized. Make a decision. Don't just sit on the sidelines. I know sometimes the chairs are comfortable. But let's stand up. Let's move. Because God is asking you to follow. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would just be with us today and help us to be uh, people who can think seriously about some of the words that have been said. I pray that you would help us to be people who are not simply spectators, but maybe we can just stand up a little bit. Maybe we can move a little bit forward. I know that, that you want us to not be the same. You want us to grow and to transform and we pray that you would help us as we are patient with ourselves Lord thank you for being patient with us help us to be people who can go all in with belief with faith with our life we love you in Jesus name amen let's all stand together we're going to sing we got men and women around the room we would love to pray with you